I think that's what's missing. I think that that you know dismissing criticism in the here and now based on again something that's speculative. I think that's fueling the distrust to me. And so I think on a practical level, it's just it's not. I I, th- I don't think I don't think they're helping themselves by taking that approach. Oh, I agree with that. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, days away from my NDA expiring since the shutdown of Argo. Also, the co-founder of Johnson & Roy Advisors, the greatest consultancy in transportation. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer, and after three weeks of vacation, I'm not even sure remember what I'm supposed to to do or or who I am. Um, (laughs) Do you even like podcasting? Yeah. I I was going to say, you were gone for three weeks. You were gone for three weeks, but it was like, actually, I think you were gone for like six weeks. Like you kind of slow rolled back into the States, yeah. but like didn't reach out to anyone. And then you appeared. I got an extra week or so out of jet lag, but yeah, um, but yeah now I, I'm out of excuses and I'm, I, I guess I have to pretend like I pay attention to uh, mobility technology. Ed, while well, you were gone, the forces of techno optimism won and FSD was deployed. So you can retire now. Kirsten, Kirsten you're in charge. Oh my God. Did you just say Kristen? I've only known you, Alex, for uh, like nine years or something. Uh, I have a Kristen in my life. Take it as a compliment. It's okay. So speaking of techno-optimists, I think I would put Cruz in that category as the ultimate techno-optimist. But they've had a lot of problems since you've been gone, Ed. And it's amazing to me because... Some might call it hubris. Some might call it confidence. I'm not really sure what to call it, but they are continuing to get pressure from pretty much all sides on the sort of official regulator basis. Um, But they continue to expand and sort of are very bullish on their stance. So here's the update. As of this week, NHTSA has opened a preliminary investigation. You know, this is a first step. Um, based on a couple of incidents, two incidents that they that were reported, and then two that they are uh, based on videos that they saw on social media of um, concerning activity um, of cruise vehicles with pedestrians or interacting with pedestrians. Um, so that just kind of broke. But on the other hand, cruise just. Um, basically soft launched its robotaxi service in Houston. So it's mm. not slowing down at all. I, Ed, you want to go like, first? Or well, I, all I have to say, I mean, I feel like we've discussed on the show a number of times that like there definitely seems to have been like some kind of mandate from investors or, or whatever um, for a number of these companies that like scaling, like showing that you can scale is, is like clearly has been a priority for the last like year or so. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I, feel like we keep kind of saying is like, well, what are you scaling, right? Like if you haven't created something real, then, you know, scaling it feels feels premature. And it, it feels like this system, like, I, I, I don't know, it, it feels like, you know, especially with so much public distrust. And by the way, I know there was a, I uh, was at the JD Power mobility confidence index came out. I did, I did see that and, and people's confidence in AVs are lower than ever. Uh, although there's some interesting caveats to that, but like, why not prove that, you know what I mean? Like, why not build that confidence and then scale first? Obviously, it's I th- there's other pressures involved, but I don't, I don't know if they're the right ones. You know, uh, Cruz's success depends on um, 
people buying into techno optimism and them basically, uh, you know, um, <laughs> coasting off of Waymo's trust building, which is light years ahead of Cruz. And I think you're going to see a, a deeper like bifurcation um, in the market as Waymo starts walking away with just better optics, just better optics. I, I'm not totally decided on that front. I'm going to do the you know contrarian view. Um, not I'm not defending Cruz at all. I think they have some real problems. What I find super fascinating is how committed to their stance they are. And they're true, true believers. I interviewed Kyle Vogt on our um, TechCrunch stage in September, and he's a true believer, absolutely 100%. Like, believes wholeheartedly that this technology is save, it will save lives and that this is the answer, the answer. Where I disagree with you is I'm not sure that their problems won't impact Waymo. And we're kind of seeing this a little bit, even if Waymo, I think it's going to take time for it to really play out. Um, Waymo expanded its service uh, in San Francisco, its service, um, and also sort of soft launch in Los Angeles. And we've seen pressure, interestingly, from the Teamsters um, with Waymo and also Cruise. The argument is a little bit odd. Um, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but basically they seem to be pushing on the, this is going to take away jobs from delivery drivers, but also it's unsafe. Tech is bad. So there's kind of a dual argument. Um, there was a protest, apparently a fairly small one, but a protest nonetheless in Los Angeles. So Waymo's getting a little bit of pressure too. I think the question is, first of all, they can't have a single incident, right? <laughs> because then they'll just get automatically lumped in with Cruise. And if enough time passes and Cruise continues to have problems and Waymo doesn't, then I could see that happening maybe. But right now, I think people are sort of lumping them together a little bit. Um, although, like, regulator attention is obviously, like, 100% on cruise. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I would agree with you in the sense that uh, it's not – the bifurcation isn't, like, a done deal. But they've been lumped together for years. All the big stack AV companies have been lumped together. And – incremental steps forward where, where we actually see them separate is a good thing because you know i'm totally bullish on av i'm just not bullish on every av company being good and surviving yeah and i think the problem that we're seeing to some extent and we've seen this for a long time with with tesla and now it seems like this is almost another layer to this problem that that like the incentives the rewards for being conservative for doing extra engagement, for building that trust, for doing things that kind of – and again, I you know, I, I don't want to hold up Waymo as doing everything perfectly, but I do think they're kind of setting one of the better examples out there. The, the problem that we see is that for most people who don't follow the space as closely as, as we do or, or even much less closely, these distinctions oftentimes get lost. And unfortunately because and, – and I think you know, we're at an interesting moment um, in terms of like you know the labor movement has a lot of energy, so that probably explains – you know, the protests in LA that you're describing, Kirsten, as much as any actual problems with the technology, right? Um, and so, so like, there's a lot of, I think, political hay to be made in just going after AVs broadly. And I think there's no point, you know, for, for the people who are going to make hay on that, like, there's no point in making these distinctions. They want to, 
you know, paint everyone with the same brush. And unfortunately, it just creates a situation where, you know, if you are, I want to call, you know, I think Tesla's like a bad actor. I wouldn't call Cruz a bad actor. I would call Cruz a less conscientious actor. But like, I feel like, unfortunately, the incentives seem to be aligning around like, you know, doing the principled thing. There's just not a lot of reward to it. Whereas there's also not a lot of downside to being a little bit more sloppy about it, especially when Tesla's out there you know, being the example of an actual bad actor that we as a society can't somehow do anything about. Well, uh, congratulations on making it six minutes into the podcast before mentioning Tesla. Cheers. Thank you. Um, And what I would say is that you mentioned principled approach. And and I think what's interesting is that Cruz believes it is 100% sticking to its principles because it truly believes in this technology. I mean, it's, it's very clear in talking to Kyle, like very steadfast, very earnest. Right. And I'm not saying that's correct, but that's the vibe. Um, what I think is also interesting that's happening in the background is that there is also, what does the future of these companies look like? And Cruz has the origin that it is working, trying to work with Nitsan and exemptions. So it'll be interesting to see if this investigation in any way um, slows that process down because again, Kyle has said it's going to happen any day now. And that was, uh, I don't know, six weeks ago or so. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. But also what's the plan right now? Like I rode in Cruz and Waymo's when I was in um, San Francisco in September. And like, first of all, Getting, um, I was in a Waymo a lot more. We tried to put four people in a Waymo, which they say it can hold. Hilarious, hilarious. It is, you cannot, I mean, so difficult. Um, it was a great, uh, you know, in a a Jaguar, yeah, three in the back and one in in the front. Wait, we didn't put anyone in the driver's, yes, three people in the back of a a Jaguar I pace, yeah. I mean, you know, like a couple six foot three dudes and, you know, like it was, it wasn't exactly like, um, roomy. And so I keep thinking about like what their next iteration is going to be. And Zeker is the one, but then origins happening. And to me, that's going to be really interesting because it's a form factor in which you can get more people in potentially, but it also presents this whole sharing thing which I am totally unconvinced is people will do, but economically it seems like these companies believe that that will happen. And so there's this future thing that I'm kind of paying attention to that I think is a little bit clouded by all the recent drama, but I think that's going to be a bigger deal, quite frankly, like how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to just really quick, like tease out the, the, the principal issue that, that you brought up. Cause I think it is, it kind of gets to the heart of, of kind of some of the issue here. I agree that like Kyle is very, he believes in principle as a principle that this technology will be safer than human drivers. Um, and that's again, like it's a, it's a, a deep belief that he holds, but, but it's a belief about the future which is actually not exactly what, you know, and and so when we say principle, what what I mean about that is, right, a principle of safety, right? So like improving safety is your principle. If that's your principle, then, you know, excusing things that are not safe in the short term because you think it will lead to something safer in the long term, that's actually not a principle position. 
That's actually a compromise of your principle. Like if you're taking a principle, if, if your principle is truly safety, you know, and you see your technology out there doing things and the regulators, like they're not safe, you know, say arguing that it will be safe in the future is a like speculative, but B it shows that, that a lack of principle around safety. And to me, it's like, if, if there are, if I were to see a principal leader in this space, I, I would I would expect them to you know see these kinds of videos, see these kinds of incidents, and either a be able to explain exactly why there was no danger there in like pretty convincing terms, or to say, hey, it makes sense that people are worried about this. That did look unsafe. We should slow down and make sure that we're doing things safe along the way because this ends justify the means thing isn't actually really a principle. It's just something that you can trot out anytime you want that isn't actually, there's no actual evidence for it. It's speculative and and people just use it to wipe away criticism. I don't think that's that's what I think of at least when I think of principled. And, and again, you can have an ap- academic debate about it. I think that's what's missing. I think that 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 sort of you know, dismissing criticism in the here and now based on, again, something that's speculative, I think that's fueling the distrust to me. And so I think on a practical level, it's just, it's not, I, I, th- I don't think, I don't think they're helping themselves by taking that approach. Oh, I agree with that. Um, I, I, I'm just trying to, based on conversations and like the interview and things like that, uh, provide the perspective of what I think that they, that they truly believe. And so what I'm curious to see happen is if they'll wake up to, uh, or if anyone will tap them on the shoulder and say, we get it. Like you believe this, but your approach right now isn't winning you any fans. Yeah. I will say that there are absolutely people who support crews and are supporters of robo taxis, but um, every single one of these incidents just calls into question, you know, as it should, um, you know, exactly what they're doing here operationally. And, um, so, so it'll be interesting to see like what happens with this. They're at 50% right now in San Francisco. Um, and they still had, uh, have had incidents, the October 2nd incident, um, you know, it should be clear that, you know, I saw the video, unfortunately, um, I tried to describe it in my, um, article, but it, the person was very clearly not hit by cruise initially it was a totally other lane and opposite side of the other vehicle and this person was hit went on the hood flew over the top of the windshield onto the roof down the right side and into the lane where cruise was the question is how quickly did the cruise vehicle react you know um the person was stuck under there right um stuff like that and we'll see what the investigation finds out uh, and wait, didn't the head of cruise communications leave last week or two weeks ago? There's so many comms people at that company. Um, it's possible. You know, there was a um, there was a book, a very controversial book of military history um, about the First World War, written by a historian named John Mosier. He's I, I, I'm not going to say that he's a great historian, but he brought up a really interesting point about. Um, how the media covered the Allied and Axis, you know, offenses of World War One. He talked about how no matter what the Allies did, the British Army specifically, um, they were always their metronome, their operational metronome was always a half tick behind. 
And as a result, the uh, media, when they were covering like uh, the course of events, even if things went well, which they rarely did, but when they went well, um, could they could never give um, the Allied forces the benefit of a doubt. Everything was bad all the time, even when things were good. And this is Cruz's problem now, is that even when they're not guilty of a, 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 an unprincipled approach or a decision or events like that crash, the October 2nd crash, they, don't, they no longer get the benefit of a doubt. And this is a, th- this is a problem maybe more difficult than the technology uh, itself. Uh, because you don't want to have the metronome of negativity beating against you um, in perpetuity. And and uh, you know, and, and full disclosure, I'm actually in the San Francisco Bay Area right now um, because I'm going to be attending the Micromobility Conference. I, I assume it'll probably be over by the time this airs, but because um, it's this Thursday. But uh, uh, you know, and I, I'll be uh, doing a conversation there with with Waymo um, and local cyclists. And that I think to me again, like so. So part of this is you know just having a better record of safety, like not being caught even in situations where there is ambiguity about, you know, whether or not you could have done something better. That's so there's a a technical aspect to this, but beyond the technical aspect, I think there is part, you know, how you build trust is frankly through a certain amount of vulnerability, I think like, right. Like if you are always sort of, and I think this is the, this is the problem with, with like, the whole Tesla full self-driving thing. Like if, if Elon were vulnerable and open about like why this has failed and like why it's gotten wrong and how they're trying to pivot and address. And like, you got right. Like, like to me, there is an opportunity to at least try to build trust and he's not even trying. And I, I don't, you know, again, I, I don't think Waymo is perfect. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, our discussion, I, <laughs> I, I suspect strongly that, you know, it will not, answer all questions and alleviate all concerns that all cyclists in the city of San Francisco have about autonomous vehicles. Uh, but they're trying, they're making that effort. And part of how they're doing it is accepting that like, Hey, this audience is not necessarily like inherently pro AV, but we're going to go out there and we're going to engage with them. And we're going to talk about what you, what we're doing. And we're going to put ourselves in a position where we are vulnerable to, a, you know, to some, some criticism. Um, and that's, I think the piece that I don't see, Cruz doing again full disclosure like this probably sounds self-aggrandizing because I'm, I'm part of it or whatever but I do genuinely that's why I'm taking part in this is that you know, I don't want to whitewash what Waymo's doing I want I want to be part of them sort of engaging what to me feels like you know uh, an, an honest effort at at addressing people's like legitimate and and frankly some illegitimate concerns um uh, well w- real quick Cruz did um Cruz did have one of their policy people on a, another panel we had at disrupt talking about like relationship with cities and I know that they've done other things whether they've dr- addressed specifically what you're hoping to I would you know I don't know um what I'm actually I don't want to change the subject but like I we always lately have been talking about Waymo and Cruz, but like, where is Motional and Zooks? <laughs> like, oh, okay. First of all, let me tell you, okay. Carl Yama, shout out to you for staying out of the fray. Uh, <laughs> wise decision. Um, best to stay, lay low until your you know your cake is fully baked. Um, and Zooks doesn't have enough vehicles in the road relative to Waymo or Cruz San Francisco to you know. Well, meet they're not the in of, San Francisco. They're they're, they're testing. They're, they're testing. They're testing. In San Francisco, with human safety operators, as far as I know, I don't think that they've gone driverless testing in San Francisco in Foster City, where their headquarters are. Yes, they absolutely are doing 
driverless rides in the custom built vehicle and employees can get in and out. And that's about uh, around two miles. Well, but it's, you a, know, I, it's, a, it's a shuttle, basically. I give credit to, to uh, Zooks and Emotional for keeping quiet while this plays out. But I have to say something positive about Cruise. Like, we need competition in this sector. We really do. And it's best if Cruise is successful. So there's real competition, and this country exports this technology to other places once it's baked. Um, the fundamental thing I, I think that Cruise doesn't understand, and if you look at the history of – I don't want to say scandals of big brands having a boo-boo or negative press and what they do about it. If you have, if the forces, if the tides of media are, are against you, you need to show up with vulnerability as I described and with a countervailing statement or action of positivity and honesty equivalent to the negativity that's been thrown at you, or you're just, you know, waiting and hoping that, that time at events, uh, catch up with where you think you are that does the real world the real world just doesn't work that way and this is fundamentally and this is for the whole tech sector this is fundamentally a problem of community engagement as a function being subsumed to policy teams cities are not stupid they're not people can say they are they're not and so when a policy team shows up in the city it's assumed they're there for regulatory capture to write checks, whereas community engagement is psychologically operates on a completely different level, a different universe. So if you're subsuming it to policy, you will fail or spend a lot of money and time learning that you failed. This must change. Don't you think, though, just really quickly, that when uh, – I try not to be cynical, but like if, if a, a company whatever comes – an autonomous vehicle company comes to do community engagement, like I would look at that with a suspicious eye because I would know that they'd be building up to something. They're not just there because it's fun. Like they're there to get something done and win people over and that eventually the policy stuff is going to happen. So like why would that work with city officials? If they are smart, they're going to know something is up if there's a community engagement thing. Yeah, but there's, it's the fundamental decision of, are we going to show up and do what we want and tell you about it later and be like, hope you don't mind? Or are we going to ask you, discuss it in advance, and then oh, okay. maybe modify what and how Got we it. do it, and then go do it? And, Got it. Okay. Uh, this is, you know, this is not rocket science. Um, and yet people, companies behave as if it's impossible and um, not, not even impossible, unnecessary. Yeah. And, and so one of the really interesting things, so once again, so I mentioned there's the, the JD Power Mobility Confidence Index or whatever. And this is something I've been doing for a while. And so, and, and it looks like at a high level, I think the, the national, they, it was like 3,000 people surveyed. And I think the, it asked them to rate their confidence in AVs on zero to 100 scale. And it's, it's, it was like 37%, which is like, Really bad. And it's one of those things, and it's down, you know, a couple points from last year. And so it's another one of those data points. It's like, you know, confidence. It's funny because we know that like the technology continues to improve, but confidence continues to kind of slide. But this survey, like literally every single survey I've ever seen about that, that tries to measure this or comparable types of things, the most dramatic data point was how different people's opinions are when they've had some personal exposure to the to the technology because of those I, and I don't know what percentage of those 3,000 had actually ridden in Phoenix or San Francisco but apparently of those people in that study who had ridden it went from 37 to like 67 percent 
Like it almost right. doubled the approval level. So there's like, but like, I think there's some danger there too, because like, to me, that may, that may also be what like is telling Kyle and, and the cruise team, like, Hey, all we need to do is, is scale this technology. The more people get exposed to it, the perception problems oh. take care of themselves. I, I think that's a dangerous lesson to take from it. But I think also the people who are getting excited about being sort of like about the sort of populist anti-AV fervor also kind of need to look at this data and get a little bit more realistic about, about what's really going on here. Because the idea that like all Americans are going to be really at 37%, whether they're right. Like, and, and, and it's a bit of a, a, an issue that like the people who are most angry about this technology, are the people who have no exposure to it and the people who are exposed speaking to of it, angry. Kirsten, what's going on with the UAW? It's all over the news. <laughs> well, to finish that thought though, Ed, just, um, I think you're right in that you see coverage on driveless vehicles or when incidents happen that hit local news or um, even national news, and then it's not even in their city. And so there's, of course, a lot of concern and fear around that. Um, and then, you know, the experience I've seen with people who have never been, because I took some of my coworkers who had never been in a driverless vehicle. Um, I've been in obviously many, but uh, first, like kind of some of them super afraid, some of them definitely didn't want to get into it, some of them concerned, and then they sort of then eased up. And many of them afterwards, not all, but many of them afterwards were like, this is awesome. So I think you're right in that exposure to it, but you can't bet that just scale will get you there. <laughs> Right. Really? To, to close that thought. Right. Um, speaking of optics uh, and sort of did, did, did you all see uh, Bill Ford's comments? Um, oh, yesterday? yes. Yes. So this was interesting. Um, at first I was like, OK, typical like you know, Ford chairman coming up and being like, we all need to, you know, figure this out. But he said something really interesting, which Ed, I think you might have something to say about He's like, the people who are, or like basically the ones who are celebrating this or are laughing all the way to the bank essentially are Toyota and Tesla. And it got me thinking about, you know, if the UAW is successful on these last remaining sticking points in which um, EV joint battery ventures are a big, a big sticking point um, in making sure those um, are union, are union factories, which GM has conceded to, but the other two have not yet. But if UAW is successful in that, and if they have a lot of success with this strike, which is in its fifth week, you know, will they turn their attention to, to perhaps a different company? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think they are, I think no matter which, like how this UAW situation with the Detroit companies shakes out, I think the next frontier is absolutely, it's, it's one of the two, right? It's either the, the non-union companies in the South right um or it's or it's tesla uh the uaw has tried like like formal organizing drives um and and i'm sorry just to to back up a second i think on the on the detroit side like you know what the uaw do, is doing is it's sort of it's it's sort of rehabbed right like they had all this corruption for so many years very cozy relationship with management you know <laughs> However many presidents have been, you know, imprisoned at this point. And Sean Fain, as the new president, is like genuinely has like, you can tell the grassroots energy is like, like he doesn't seem like a typical, you know, union boss guy. He he seems like he's got this grassroots energy. He's and he seems popular within the union outside of it. And frankly, what he's doing right now is is really playing catch up. 
Um, basically, since the the bailout, the UAW had to take a lot of concessions. There's been inflation, a lot of other things since, and he is basically catching his his members back up to. And it's not just inflation; it's also the fact that UAW is. I'm sorry, the 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 automakers are making fat profits mostly off of trucks and SUVs. And so now Bill Ford's coming out because the strike has hit the full size truck plant. So they're really hitting the the UAW or the the automakers where they're making money. Again, this is to catch workers. The, the traditional UAW base back up to where it is. And I think they're going to be, clearly they're going to be like pretty successful at that. Um, the next step though, is this, is this issue on, on, on electrification. And the, the problem is trying to, trying to win these battery factories. And I know, like you said, GM has conceded, Ford is fighting it, Chrysler is fighting it. The, the, the problem with that is that those investments in battery plants are going to come out of the same truck profits that unions also want for their workers. And so there is a real trade-off there for the so so I think you know the the automakers and Bill Ford like there is a, a fair point that like there's only so much profit that these trucks have to give. And by the way, if we're in the process of shifting to electric, those profits aren't going to be there forever anyway. And so what the UAW needs to do is is like a they need to go after they need to show that they can serve workers who have a worse deal. Than their existing members, and I think if you look at the injury record, the safety record, the and just a lot of things at the the Tesla's U.S. factories, um, even even if you don't take the lower, much lower pay into consideration, uh, there's a really obvious target there. I'd say the, some of the suppliers in the South too have really horrible records. We've seen uh, child labor there. We've seen really horrible injuries and stuff. But I think the UAWs tried to organize the South, and they've really struggled. And part of that might have been the old regime of the UAW, and maybe these new guys have more energy. But I actually think California is a much, much, much more strategically advantageous place to look. And I, I, I think if the UAW can't grow past the Detroit Three, if they can't make headways on Tesla, or at the very least some of these other non-union Southern plants, they're kind of back to where they they began, and all this energy that Sean Fain has, all it's kind of really doing is is sort of playing a little bit of catch up and that's it. And I think they have an opportunity to do much more. Kirsten, I have a question for you. Mm, go ahead. Because if I ask Ed, it's going to take half an hour. Um, nice. <laughs> don't Welcome ask, back, Ed. Thank you. Is the reason uh, the, the Tesla um, factory workers aren't unionizing, is it because or largely because they are greatly incentivized by their Tesla stock grants? And that they've made out much better than they would have under any other regime? I think it's way more complicated than that. I mean, there's clearly been efforts to unionize the Fremont plant that have not gone well. And there's been a number of sort of union busting efforts that Tesla has been criticized for. And there's a number of lawsuits that have, you know, cropped up over the years around racial discrimination. They have had a very terrible injury record. Um, so I can't tell you why they haven't been successful. A, a, uh, a, someone who is a Tesla stand would be like, it's because they love working there and it's because they have got all these incentives and that they, they like the free, you know, all those arguments that doesn't totally work. Um, there's never like a black and white situation with, with union efforts. Um, it can come down to also, the people who are organizing it locally aren't well liked. I mean, there's lots of reasons why union efforts aren't as successful. The one thing I will say though, is that right now the UAW has the microphone 
and they didn't for a long time. Um, and so if they can use the momentum, I think that they could be potentially much more successful. Um, you know, no one wanted to talk about you. It, it was kind of a dirty word. Like, you know, no one wanted to talk about unionizing uh, shops three or four years ago. Really, there just wasn't a lot of support for it. I mean, the UAW did, had a very different image. That's I think that's part of my point is Fain is sure. really exactly. – and, and, and these corruption investigations have really rehabilitated the image and got the energy. Alex, to your point, I mean, yes, for if you look historically over the last 10 years, yes, like Tesla workers have gotten a very good deal out of stock options. Like everything else Tesla-related though, you know, you, you can there's, – there's literally nothing about Tesla that you can't dismiss – if you assume the stock will always go up and the, and thus far it has. And, you know, but like, can Tesla stock always go up forever until the end of time? If so, yeah. But like, but like generally speaking, unions do their most important work, not in terms of capturing the upside in the good times for workers, although that, that is part of it, but it's actually really about protecting them in the downside. And I think that you know, when Tesla, when, if and when Tesla stock really does, you know, have some show signs of, of real weakness, you know, for Elon Musk, that will be, you know, 100 million here, 100 million there, you know, I don't know, who, who knows? But like for workers, all of a sudden they will be, you know, any advantage will go away. And so this is just another thing, another way in which Tesla has to keep that stock moving up. Because the second it stops moving, and certainly if it starts declining, then all of a sudden their entire argument for keep the, the union out is gone, right? Because also that financial argument is wiping away all of the workplace safety and racism and all this other stuff that Kirsten mentioned. So um, prediction time, and then you know we'll go our merry ways. Do we think that the, they'll make – is the Kentucky plant like putting enough pressure on Ford that they're going to cave in the – you know, before the month is up. So it's middle of October right now. Um, I think potentially, yes. Um, I was very interested in that the joint venture, the battery joint venture factories that they have with um, SK on, they issued a press release saying, we're raising wages here, <laughs> which I thought the timing was great because these are planned factories. You know, no one's working there yet. But I felt like it was maybe a tactic to be like, you don't need to unionize it. Like, look, we're already taking the steps to do so, um, to give fair pay and things. So we'll see what happens. But I, I think I I think this has to be resolved by the end of the month. That's my prediction. Anyone? I don't have a prediction because sometimes it's best not to speak if one doesn't have something really valuable to add. Okay. Every minute that Kentucky plant, uh, Kentucky truck plant, one, one Ford factory, every minute that that is closed costs them over $48,000 a minute. Okay. So, and, and, and Ford basically has two full-size truck plants essentially, right? It's, it's KTP and Dearborn truck. And like those two factories are the whole company without those, those factories, the company doesn't exist. And one, and now they're, and now they only have one of those two. So I, I definitely don't think it'll go on forever. I, I think Ford is, is clearly putting up a big fight. Uh, which I expect them to do, but I don't expect this to go more than a couple more weeks. I, what, what, what the ultimate deal is, whether the union has to make a few concessions to get to that final agreement, I assume they probably will be concessions on both sides. But I think overall, it will be a good deal and it will conclude within a couple of weeks. Okay. Well, enough with prediction time. Um, what what do you want to say, Alex? Uh, 
did you see uh, in yesterday? Was it yesterday? The day before, that Tesla announced that they're going to have an API, a developer API, which I'm gathering means people will be able to write apps for Teslas. Infotainment. I mean, they've always have it. They've always had kind of an unspoken, open API. By the way, I mean that's why companies like Tesla exist. They have a backdoor. Like so, so, so Tesla has an API, but Twitter doesn't. Interesting. Oh no, it's yeah. it's a free. Well, so so is that a free API? Is is Tesla's free? That's the, the distinction with Twitter. Is they got rid of the free API and they're charging for access. Hmm. Anyway, I, I haven't seen know. the recording. Okay, I well, I find it interesting that you just brought up a whole new topic when you've been messaging us while we're recording this podcast that you've got to wrap up. So um, would you like to say anything about this before we wrap up, Alex? Uh, if any OEM is going to have a vibrant community of developers putting stuff in the dash, um, it's going to be Tesla. Well, GM also just uh, started a basically an API. Oh, I think Alex is right, but only because Tesla will put a lot fewer safety safeguards in place oh for those devo- those third party apps, which is one of the biggest reasons that there aren't really a lot of third party apps for cars. Uh, also, I will say that if you look at the uh, there's some footage that uh, of David Jervit- uh, David Jervitson um, at the. Uh, Steve? Steve Jervitson. I was like, I knew I had that name wrong. Yeah. Steve Jervitson at the. Uh, um, reveal of the Model S prototype and he's in the front seat with Elon and this video captures very clearly Elon saying this is in 2012, 2011, 2012, saying we've already have developers working on it. We're gonna have an app store. We already have developers working on apps for the the Model S. And that was over 10 years ago now. So I would say uh, I feel safe taking that one with a great <laughs> of salt. Well, I I will defend Tesla on this one thing is that they have been among the most active in the hacker community um and uh, seriously they have um in terms of, you know, having um re- uh, rewards or whatever if if they can hack into the vehicle and they've had that program for many years. I'm not saying that they are perfect, but I just want to add that little thought there. Um can I add a little thought before we wrap sure. this up? <laughs> I wish this was this video was broadcast because Kirsten's face when Ed or I start talking is just it's priceless. Um, the Atonicast party is coming up in January. CES anti CES party as we do it every year. If you're interested in sponsoring the Atonicast party, which is every year the best party at CES, please contact us, Alex, Ed, or um, Kirsten. Uh, wait, should we share an email online like this? Um, sure. You can find, you, can people that. can find D- us. Just DM, yeah, yeah, we're on Twitter. Just DM us on Twitter. LinkedIn, whatever, yeah. And yeah, what? and then we can, and then we can, um, my, my email is very public. It's kirsten.corosek at TechCrunch. And uh, we actually do have a ton of cast emails. Yeah, Alex at atonicast.com always works. Yes. We, we should probably say this. Last year's party was absolutely it was bonkers. We probably were five X demand over capacity. So if you want to sponsor this party and make sure that you are on the list, you should reach out soon. Like now. Way to shill at the last. All right. What? Um, it's okay. You do, you're very good at it. Um, all right, folks, we are going to wrap this up. And so thank you again for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. Cast. 